Go with me to John chapter 13, would you? John chapter 13. And we'll begin in verse 18 in just a moment. As we saw last time, Jesus had washed the disciples' feet, including the feet of his betrayer, Judas, and then he had turned to them to make the purpose of his serving to them, uh, serving them very clear that they now were to serve one another in this same way. They were to learn to serve others with humility and self-forgetfulness. And then he reminded them in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You see, it's one thing to know the truth. It's another thing completely to do the truth, to practice the truth, to obey the truth. And that's what Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples that day. This is important. This is how you're to serve. Did you just see how, yes, you call me master and Lord and teacher, and I am. And did you just see how your master and Lord just washed your feet? This is how you're to serve each other. In this self-forgetful, humble way you serve. You see, to know what God requires of you is very important, isn't it? I, I hope that's why you're here. You want to know what God requires of you. You want to know God's Word because you want to obey it. It's one thing to know it, and it's very important to know it, but even more important is to do what God requires of you. So as we noted last week, and just as we, you know that hymn we sing together, there is joy in serving Jesus, right? Well, there is. And if we're to truly be joyful and content in our service to Christ, then knowledge and obedience must be present in our lives. Now, I want you to know what Jesus says beginning in verse 18. Verse 18, follow along as I read through verse 30 in John chapter 13. Jesus says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me, or receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, who was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom... I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Now up to this point in chapter 13, we have heard Jesus touch only briefly on the matter of who would betray him. He's spoken of his betrayal, but he's only touched 
briefly on it. Now as we come to verse 18 in the following passage, where Jesus deals directly with his betrayer, at the same time we see that he helps prepare the other disciples for his betrayal. They are going to be confused by the betrayal of Judas, but Jesus wants them to be, be, be prepared. He wants them to know after the fact, after this betrayal has occurred and it becomes clear to them what's happened, they will then know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, God in human flesh. And what becomes clear in the text before us should sober and challenge us this morning, and I hope it sobers and challenges you as it does me. As we seek to serve one another for God's glory, what becomes clear here is that you cannot deceive Jesus, but you can grieve Him. You cannot deceive Christ, but you can certainly grieve Him. There was one here who did, did not deceive Jesus. He was trying, but he did not deceive Jesus, but most certainly he grieved Jesus. The truth that Jesus can't be deceived is very clear in verse 18. I want you to go back to verse 18 and look at it with me, where it says, Jesus says, I'm not speaking of all of you. Remember, he had just told them, blessed are you if you obey these things that you know. You know these things. Now Now you're going to be blessed if you do them. But then he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. You see, Jesus had just taught his disciples a most important lesson about serving others. You see, the servant is not greater than the master. And if the master serves as Jesus did, washing their feet, then those who are truly following Christ must follow his example and serve one another in that way. And they will find true joy in not only knowing these things, but in doing them. You say you believe, says Jesus. You say you believe, that's good. Now obey. Do as I have done. And he wasn't teaching the practice of foot washing. We talked about that last week. But he was giving them a, a, an example that would, that would ring a powerful note to them that would, that would point them to how they were to serve one another. Jesus didn't say, I've washed your feet, now you take turns washing mine. He said, I've washed your feet, now you wash one another's feet. This is how you're to serve. In this dramatic fashion, boy, it takes some humility to get down on your hands and knees and wash somebody's filthy feet. What do you think? And Jesus says to his disciples, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to claim that you're a follower of Christ, then that is how you're to serve. You humble yourself. You put yourself lower than your neighbor, and you serve him for God's glory. You serve as I have served you. But here in verse 18, Jesus says, but I'm not speaking of all of you. I'm not speaking of all of you. You see, one of them was a deceiver. One of the twelve was not a true follower of Christ. Judas apparently was a master liar. I mean, think about it. He certainly had the other disciples fooled. They were like, who are you talking about, Jesus? Who's it going to be? Who's going to betray you? They weren't thinking of Judas. They all trusted him to keep the, mo the common money bag. They, they put the money in Judas's hands, so evidently they trusted him pretty Thoroughly, pretty completely, right? But Jesus wasn't fooled by Judas. I know whom I have chosen, 
he says. In other words, I've chosen you all to be my disciples, and you all appear to be following me, but I know who's really following me and who's not. I know who's really following me and who is only going through the motions. So yes, Judas has been chosen in the sense that he has been chosen as one of the disciples picked from among many people who could have been a disciple, and Jesus has chosen those 12 to follow him and go, go with him as he teaches them and he serves and ministers here on earth. But no, Judas has not been chosen unto salvation. Jesus knew from the very beginning of time that Judas was not one of the Father, one that the Father had given to him for salvation. And knowing this, Jesus chose him as one of his twelve. You see, Jesus is not deceived by Judas as the other disciples were. So he says, quoting Psalm 41, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. You see, Jesus isn't fooled by Judas. But he knows the other disciples are. He knows the other disciples are, are fooled. So in verse 19, Jesus is very gracious when he says, look at verse 19, I'm telling you this now, before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. You see, later they would remember Jesus' words, and they would realize that He had not been wrong about Judas being a betrayer, and they would believe that Jesus was indeed the Christ, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And those who see Jesus as the Messiah and believe in Him as Savior enjoy a very special relationship. We see it pointed to here, one in which they become His messengers. So that's why this is so important that we hear this, this truth, this message today from God's Word to us. And we can't deceive Him. We can't deceive Him. We might be able to deceive one another. We might be able to deceive even some of our closest acquaintances, we might go to church, we might carry our Bibles, we might look like faithful followers of Christ on the exterior. We might look like that to others, but God knows our hearts, doesn't he? Jesus knows our heart. We don't, we don't fool him. We don't deceive him. But those who are truly followers of Christ have a special role, have a special role to keep in God's kingdom, a special relationship one in which they become His messengers. And it is critical that we be true followers of Christ because we will be messengers of Christ with great power for the kingdom of Christ if we are faithful to follow Him as His Word teaches. Verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives Me. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ today, that's you. You're the one He sends. He sends you into this community to live and work and to do business, to make acquaintances. He sends you into this community. And the one I send, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives Me. If they receive your message of Christ, if they receive your message of the Gospel, they turn to Christ. They receive Him. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. They receive Christ. They receive God the Father. You see, those who are truly serving Christ become 
his messengers, and what a tremendous privilege this is. This points to one of the ways we serve others. When you think about your service, and we've tried to help you with that by giving you that ministry survey, and you fill that out, and you think about the things that, that God has equipped you to do, and maybe you see things there that you're not so sure He's equipped you to do, but I will tell you this, you may not feel like you're an evangelist, you may not feel like you're a teacher or a preacher or or one who teaches and expounds God's Word, but your life preaches. What does it preach, right? Your life preaches for Christ. Your life should be a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And God gives every one of us opportunities to speak for Him. When those opportunities are given to us, what do we do with them? You see, an important part of serving Christ involves being a witness for Christ. We do it. First of all, with our lives, because if our lives don't speak for Christ, it doesn't matter what our lips say. In fact, if our lips say something that's totally different from our lives, we harm the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do great harm to our testimony and to Christ's testimony. And being people who serve to meet the needs of others is a powerful witness of the love of Christ for sinners in and of itself. But our service to, to others often opens wide a door to speak of the truth of the gospel. And if we neglect that responsibility as individuals, we're not completely the messengers that we should be, are we? You see, we're to give the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We're to do it with the way that we live. We're to do it with, our, with the lips of our mouths as God opens those doors for us to, to witness the truth of the gospel to others. But we ought not think that just because we're church-going people that we are humbly serving others for the sake of the gospel. It may appear to others that we are. But listen, Jesus is not deceived. He is not deceived. So not only does Jesus encourage those who truly follow and obey Him in verse 20 that they are His messengers, He also warns those who would betray Him by appearing to others to be His messengers to be his followers, but in fact they are not. He warns them. He warns us. It's a sobering reminder today, isn't it? It is a very special privilege to be sent by God, to be God's messengers, to share the, share the good news of the gospel. A very special privilege. It's also a very sobering reminder to be fully devoted to God's method for spreading the gospel and reaching the lost. And that is through our witness the witness of his followers. You see, it's not primarily the work of, of those who teach and preach to win the loss for Christ, to go out into the community to win the loss for Christ. It's actually the work of the church, ours as a whole. We are all to be doing, each one of us to be doing the work of evangelists. We are, 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 each one of us, our lives are to be speaking of Christ. Every one of us, we are to be those who leave this place every Sunday, going into the week saying, Lord, how can I tell others about Christ with my life and with my lips this week? It is a very special privilege to be sent by God, to be His messengers. And that's where our head and our heart need to connect, isn't it? We may know these things from God's Word, but do we actually do them? Do we actually practice them? Do we live them? We need to know what to do, and we need to do it. You see, Judas is a prime example of one who knew what to do, but refused to do it. Jesus had taught 
his disciples, and Judas had been there all along. Judas had heard all of Jesus' teaching, but he really wasn't following. He was going with them where they went, but he wasn't following Christ. And Jesus was not deceived by Judas, but that doesn't make this any less difficult for Jesus. You see, he's not deceived, but he can be grieved. Look at verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He was troubled in his spirit over Judas, the one he knew would betray him. He was troubled. You see, even though Jesus knew completely what was going to take place, you can see how much he loves sinners. In his compassion for Judas, he is grieved. He is troubled in the spirit. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Not only was it a challenge to Judas, but it was also a challenge to the other eleven. You had better follow me. You had better do what you've been taught. You had better obey. Blessed will you be if you do these things. You see, it's a very grievous thing to experience betrayal by one of those who is close to you, yes? The disciples were apparently confused by this. As verse 22 notes, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Judas had them all fooled, but not Jesus. And though it was no surprise for Jesus that Judas would betray him, it was no less painful, was it? Jesus cannot be deceived, but he can be grieved. We see his humanity here, and we're reminded that he knows our griefs, and he knows our sorrows, he knows our pain. Those of you who know the gospel know that Jesus is God in human flesh, but he is not without suffering, emotional torment and pain and suffering like ours, only worse in many ways. Jesus knows our griefs, doesn't he? He's experienced them. He knows what betrayal is. He knows what heartache is. He knows what it is to grieve and sorrow. He definitely knows what pain is. Now look at verse 23 where the Apostle John speaks of himself, but he doesn't name himself. Note that he's not about drawing attention to himself. This too is instructive to us, isn't it? The Apostle John, he's pointing to Christ. It's all about Christ, just as John the Baptist was all about making Christ known, not himself. That's very instructive to us who would follow Christ. It's not about us. It's about Christ. It's about making Christ known. It's not about making ourselves known. It's about making Jesus Christ known. Verse 23, John writes, One of his disciples, speaking of himself, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table close to Jesus. John names the other disciples when he speaks of them, but he doesn't name himself. John is a disciple whom Jesus loved. He's not the only disciple whom Jesus loved. But John is moved by God's grace, isn't he? Think about it. You're a, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a follower of Christ who, whom Jesus loves. But you're not the only follower of Christ whom Jesus loves, but you ought to be one individual who's moved by God's grace to humbly speak for Christ and to make him known, not yourself known, just as John does here, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table close to Jesus. 
This isn't about special treatment. John doesn't highlight himself. He doesn't use his own name. He's trying to get out of the way so we can see Jesus here. John knows he's loved by Christ. John is looking back to this time when he writes this. Think about it. He's, he's looking back at this time around the table with Jesus and the other disciples and Judas. He's looking back as he writes. John knows he's loved by Christ. And though he and the others may not have fully comprehended right then what would take place as Jesus was crucified, he knows without a doubt that he is loved by Christ because he knows what's taking place. As he looks back, he realizes how deeply Christ loved him. One for whom Christ gave his life. And John is reclining at the table next to Christ when he receives the nod from Peter. It's like Peter's across the table, not close enough to ask for himself. And he's like, ask him, who's he talking about? So he gets the nod from Peter and he leans over to Jesus. And verse 25 says, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now we already know how deeply Jesus is grieved and moved by the betrayal of Judas. Knowing it's going to happen doesn't make it any easier for Christ. You realize that, right? Knowing it's going to happen doesn't make it any less painful that he's going to be betrayed. But note now how deep the love of Christ for Judas, still loving him even as he's in the midst of betraying Christ. Judas was already about the work of betrayal. And Jesus does more than identify his betrayer. Jesus, in fact, this is probably what confused the disciples, he actually honors Judas by giving him this morsel of bread. You see, if their time together here was part of the Passover feast, then this act of dipping the bread and passing it was it was often done first to the honored guest at the table. And so here's Jesus honoring him with this morsel of bread, this traditional act of honoring the, the, the favored guest at the table. He gives it to Judas. It's another incredible example of love that Christ has for sinners. It's another incredible example for us to live by. You see, Jesus had just washed their feet, right? And we said last week that was an incredible act of humility, one we're to take to heart and live out toward one another and those who need Christ. Here's another one. Jesus had just washed their feet. Yes, now he's back at the table with them, and he's honoring the one who's going to betray him as if he were the honored guest. We wouldn't, we wouldn't find it so easy to do that, would we? We'd find it hard to even invite someone over who's going to betray us. Eat a meal with me? I don't think so. What a challenge to us today, isn't it? What a challenge to our hearts, to our lives, to our thinking as those who claim to follow Christ. How convicting for us when we, we pick and choose whom we're going to serve, don't we? Let's see, if I do this for them, then they'll do that for me. <laughs> right? That's kind of how we think at times, but that's not how Christ thinks. It's not how his followers are supposed to think. We're not to pick and choose whom we'll serve. We've got to choose to be servants and let God pick and choose whom we serve. We're to care for others based on, based on 
what God tells us about them, that we love Him because He first loved us, and we serve out of obedience to Him because He loves us, and we show our love for Christ by loving others. It doesn't matter who it is that God wants us to serve. We ought not play favorites. How convicting for us when we're so picky and choosy about how we're going to serve and who we're going to serve, yes? And we, we choose whom we're going to serve based on our likes and dislikes for others, but that's not Christ. Christ, knowing he's going to be betrayed by Judas, honors him at the table by giving him this morsel of bread. And I'll tell you what, if Christ served even the one who would give him up to be crucified, how can we, his servants, not be challenged to do as he has done? I don't know, but I don't see anybody chasing you around to crucify you. Right? I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. How can we not serve as Jesus serves? How can we not live by his example if we claim the name of Christ as our own and claim to be his followers? How can we not be moved by Christ's humility in the face of such betrayal? You see, Jesus certainly showed his love for Judas right up to the end. Verse 27 says, Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Get it over with. It's time. I know what you're doing. Get it over with. There was no, no hiding it from Jesus now. Judas knew knew he was exposed. Judas would accept the food from Christ, and this is amazing, that he would accept the food from Christ, but he wouldn't accept his words. He took the bread and he ate it, but he would not believe in and follow Christ. He would not repent of his sin and trust in Christ. Judas had been given another opportunity to repent, but instead, what did he do? He hardened his heart, didn't he? He hardened his heart. Of course, Satan wanted to destroy Jesus. Now Satan thinks he's found the way to do it by using Judas to, to betray Christ. But still, though Christ is fully aware, aware of what's going on with Judas, he, his disciples are still deceived. It doesn't get any clearer than, I'm going to give a piece of bread to someone, that's the one who's going to betray me, and they're still confused. Verse 28, now no one at table knew why he had said it. Said to him. Why did he say that to, to Judas? Verse 29, some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he, he should give something to the poor. You see, the disciples still just couldn't grasp what was happening. It was common, of course, to give something to the poor on the evening of the Passover, and that's what they were thinking, Jesus was telling Judas now, they had to go out and buy supplies for the feast. And verse 30 says, So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And even in the midst of the confusion of the other disciples, Judas went about his dark business. And it says at the end of verse 30, and it was night. Judas had hardened his heart. And now he leaves into the night to do his evil deed in darkness. 
And it's not only the darkness of night, it's also, think about this, it's also in the darkness of his own heart. And that same darkness, here's the challenge for us. We look at that and we think, we, I couldn't do that. I'll tell you what, that same darkness of heart that, re, that, that rebels against the teaching of Jesus Christ, that same darkness of heart that rebels against the, the things of God could just as easily show itself in your life as well as mine. That same rebellion that's so clear in Judas can be so easily ours if we don't take to heart the things of God's Word and say, these things are good to know, even better if I do them. I read it to you earlier in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. J.C. Ryle writes, The extent to which we may harden ourselves by resisting light and knowledge is one of the most fearful facts in our nature. We may become past feeling, like those whose limbs are mortified before they die. We may lose entirely all sense of fear or shame or remorse and have a heart as hard as the nether millstone, blind to every warning and deaf to every appeal. It is a painful disease, but one which unhappily is not uncommon among professing Christians." None seem so liable to it as those who, having great light and privilege, deliberately turn their backs on Christ and return to the world. Nothing seems likely to touch such people, but the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Let us watch jealously over our hearts and beware of giving way to the beginnings of sin. Happy is he who fears always and walks humbly with his God. The strongest Christian is the one who feels his weakness most and cries most frequently, Hold me up and I shall be safe. From Psalm 119 and Proverbs 28. Hold me up. Hold me up, Lord. I'm weak. The darkness that we see so obviously in in the life of Judas... That's the darkness that's in our hearts as well without the work of the Word and the Spirit as Jesus holds us up and keeps us from rebelling against Him as we repent of sin and trust in Him and walk in obedience to His Word. So, you see, Jesus was not deceived by Judas on that day. It's no different now. He's not deceived on this day either. So I say to you, believer, He knows your heart. Are you glorifying Him? Are you glorifying Him by your obedience? He knows your heart, believer, unbeliever, the one who is not trusted in Christ. You have an opportunity today to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. Are you going to harden your heart and turn from Him 
and reject His truth, reject His salvation and saving from sin and eternal life. You see, Jesus cannot be deceived, but He can be grieved. Will you grieve Him too? You see, for the unbeliever here today, the implication is this. You can either choose to humble yourself before God and repent of sin and believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, for salvation and be saved, or you can harden your heart against the Lord and His Word. You can repent of your sin and trust in Him today, and you can do it right where you're at, right now, as you talk to God from the heart, repenting of sin and believing in His Son, for salvation and for forgiveness of sins, or you can harden your heart and leave this place and reject Jesus Christ and His free gift of salvation. Unbeliever today, you need to be saved from your sin. You need to be saved from the darkness of heart that we see so clearly in Judas. And we, we would pray as believers. I know followers of Christ here this morning would be praying that if you don't know Christ, that God would break through the darkness of your heart and that His light would shine deep in your life and you would see the need for your repentance and turning from sin and turning to Christ for salvation. You can trust Him now. Will you do it? That's the question. Will you trust Him now? Maybe you don't know what to say. Maybe you don't know how to pray. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to meet with you after the service or any time. Don't, don't delay. I'll pray with you. I'll help you. There are others here who would love to meet with you to show you how to know Christ. Don't keep rejecting Christ. One day it's going to be too late. Believers, this morning, believers, for you today, there are implications here, and they are these in the form of these questions. Just listen and think about your own life. Do you humbly serve others, even those who are not like you, even those who are hard, hard to love, even those who hate you? Are you willing to serve anyone God brings across your path and says, serve them for God's glory? Do you humbly serve others? Do you point others to Christ in your service? As you serve, do you, do you seek to make Christ known and not yourself known? Do you seek to elevate Him instead of yourself? Or do you serve for your own glory? Are you humbly serving others so that your life speaks for Christ? That's an important question. Are we humbly serving so that our lives daily speak for Christ and not our own goodness? We can, we can appear to be good people to those in the world, but what they need to see is the goodness of Jesus Christ in saving them from their sins if they'll repent and, and be saved. Another question is your life speaks for Christ. As your life speaks for Christ and as God gives you people to speak to, do your lips open? <laughs> Does your mouth open and speak for Christ? Do you know the gospel, the simple truths of the gospel? Can you tell somebody about their need for Savior? Can you tell somebody about their bondage in sin and, and how they can break the bonds of sin by trusting in Jesus Christ and believing in Him for forgiveness of sins and salvation? When God gives you opportunities to speak, what do you do with them? 
But ultimately the question that you must ask yourselves and I must ask myself is this one. Do I grieve him or do I glorify him? Do I grieve him? Do I grieve Christ? Do I make him known with my life? Do I grieve him by, by, by turning away from others in need? Do I grieve him or do I glorify him? Do I grieve him or do I make him known? Do I grieve him or do I bring him great glory by honoring him in my obedience? You realize the darkness that was in the heart of Judas is, is in our hearts also? If it weren't for the love of Christ and the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ showering us with his love and going to, the, to Calvary to take the punishment for our sins, we dare not say, oh, I'll never do that. I could never do that. If it were not for the grace of God, we wouldn't be here today. You realize that? And God is so gracious. It's, it's our privilege to bring Him great glory. But we can, we can instead grieve Him if we're not careful. Oh, be challenged. A passage like this is a great encouragement to me. I hope it's a great encouragement to you, but I hope, I hope too that it, it challenges you in your daily living to think carefully, do I grieve Him? With, with subtle disobedience. Do I refuse to make him known when he gives me opportunities? Do I refuse to serve him faithfully as he's burdened my heart to serve him, as he's given me gifts and talents to use for his glory? Do I, re do I refuse to make him known? Do I refuse to speak for him? Or on the other hand, am I seeking to be shaped by his word as he speaks to me and challenges me and convicts me of sin? Do I confess and get it right with him and, and take steps of obedience to move from sin and move toward glorifying Christ. What a challenge for us as a church. Oh, that we would be a church in this community that says, I want to glorify God with my life this week, today. I want to make Him know the way that I live. I don't want to grieve Him. I want to be done with sin. I want to know Your Word. I want Your Spirit to work in me, God, so, so help me to humble myself before You and before others as I serve them, serving You for Your glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the power of your word and for the power of your spirit when we yield to it and, and allow your Holy Spirit to do your work in our lives. God, I pray that every believer today would understand and know the power of God at work in them, that they would not resist the Spirit's work and the Word's work, that we would not grieve you by turning aside and turning away when you challenge our hearts to, to obey. And God, I pray that you would help us to seek the truths of your Word that, that we so desperately need to be corrected and changed by and encouraged by. And then, Lord, help us to go from this place this week serving others for your glory, serving with humility, humbly serving as Jesus served, for God's glory, to make Christ known. God, I pray for unbelievers here this morning. If there are those who are rejecting your truth, God, I pray break through the 
the darkness of their heart and help them to see their need for saving, the, the, the need for repentance of sin and, and saving from their sin and how displeasing it is to you for them to reject your son and how grievous it is for the son to be rejected. Oh Lord, help us to know that we can't deceive you. You know our hearts. Help the desires of our hearts to be shaped by your word and help them to glorify your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.